Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's Yawa, where we are here to talk about some fantastical things that are happening here at Standing Stone, as well as answer a few questions. If this is your guys' first time to the channel, make sure you hit that the subscribe button down there. It's over here. Somewhere. And turn on notifications, as well as if you are listening, we're going to have something that you're going to want to hop on over to our actual YouTube video. Because we got something, okay, Ethan got something really cool this weekend at our Puppy Send Home. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So uh, this is from Mark, and uh, Mark watched one of my videos, and... Probably more than one video this has been mentioned in because it's become an ongoing problem. Where Cat challenged my manhood because I did not have a pocket knife with me at the time, and... There- it has become an occurrence where I'm like, hey, you got a pocket knife? And my response is, uh, I don't know, do you? And she says, what kind of man doesn't have a pocket knife? Well, I said, well, touche. I should have a pocket knife. Especially I because totally I totally get this. Given him pocket knife after pocket yeah, knife after pocket knife. I absolutely love them and gifts. I love having them. I just get tired of losing them, which I do a lot. You so, just fall right out of your pocket there. Watcha! Man said, hey, I heard you need a pocket knife. He happened to get me set up with a collection of a few pretty cool knives. This one's got a little belt and clip. And this is a really cool knife roll. And then option number two. This one's got some bling going on there. I don't know if this is ivory, but it's definitely... Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty. And then... Oh, I like that one. Yeah, it's got a kind of curved blade to it. Uh, Wooden handle, very smooth. Fits in your hand nice. And then the little one that I kind of stole. Already put it in his pocket. Uh huh. This one's really unique. It's it's kind of uh, I don't know how to say like not quite banana shaped, but it's curved. And then the blade is more like a straight razor type of blade. That's cool. Yeah, very unique. I've never actually seen a pocket knife that looks quite like that. Uh -uh. So. And it is the, you know, more of the smaller, easy to fit in my pocket on a regular basis size. So, there it goes. And, what's this one? Oh, a little key one. Can't open it. Hold on. Figure it out. There we go. Little baby one. You could put that on a keychain, probably. That was actually, I was told to give that one to you, and so you could put it on a keychain. Ah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. That is a really, really nice gift. Very, very nice gift. So and thank you very much for that. Uh, and now I have no excuse for at least three more losses of you why better I not don't any more have knives. a pocket knife on me. Now, this evening, we are going to be playing with uh, Eagle Rare. Is that like? says it right on the label. It does not. I'm okay. not that gullible. Nope, it does not. But this is uh, in honor of uh, Bob, because anytime I send Bob at Lone Duck a message, he sends me back the eagle emoji, <laughs> emoticon, whatever those things are. I think they're called emojis. Emojis. And I'm having a good old-fashioned mojito. Not mm. an old-fashioned. Now I know why I like this. Sometimes you haven't had it in a little while. You're like, hmm, do I like this or not? Why do I have this? Now I remember. You like it. Yeah, it's tasty. You like it a lot. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, well, 
Now to answer some questions. How's Ooh, that sound? I'm good. I'm ready. Lay on me. <sighs> so many good ones. Oh, this will be a good one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get started, I want to say one thing. Just so that everybody knows it's watching. I mean, we're a couple minutes in. We haven't lost most of your viewers yet. Just joking. Everybody watches to the end here. You're putting that finished, finish in finished. there. Ooh, we appreciate that, by the way. Uh, makes us feel good. Sometimes, you know, we get into making these things and it, it, you get to that point a little bit where you're like, is anybody really watching these? And that's why I said that. And everybody's like, finish, 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 finish. So it makes us feel good. Yes. We we can tell that we're appreciated for what we're doing and what we're putting time in for. Um, but we do want to say all of the questions are coming from YouTube. So if you're interested, you're watching now, you have a question for us and you want us to answer it, throw it in the comments below. Yes. So this is a good one because dove season is right around the corner. Is it? It is. So from <laughs> Lynn Gillum, dove season is coming up and I have taken my springer hunting once. He was a little timid around gunfire, but mm. did retrieve one or two birds. Fast forward to now and a few months of no gunfire. When I reintroduce gunfire, he acts like he is terrified. We have slowly been introducing gunfire and he has gotten better. But should I take him beginning of dust season or do you think that is too soon? I'm going to say it sound, sounds like you have gunfire issues. Yeah, I would say that. Um, your first season where you shot around him and he acted timid, if your dog is ever acting unsure or timid or heading back to the truck, those are situations where you are seeing gun sensitivity to some extent and just trying to push through that or move forward through that is not an ideal situation because that's just going to compound the problem. And we want to get to the point where they're not acknowledging gunfire. They're so excited to be out there hunting that the gunfire doesn't affect them. Or if it does affect them, it affects them in the sense that they're getting super excited and more pumped up, not the opposite. Um, so it sounds like he had some timid experiences, then took some time off and didn't have also a ton of exposure and experience prior to that, and now came back to gunfire and is now probably past the gun sensitive and back down to, I would say, almost gun shy. And yes, you have a slow, steady road ahead of you to get him to the point where he is going to be comfortable around that gunfire and comfortable enough to the point where you can take him hunting, especially if you plan on hunting um, dove or with a group. So dove hunting is one of those situations where if the dogs aren't on point, they aren't actively flushing or chasing birds, that they're being shot, they're sitting, they're having to be steady, they're having to wait. And dove hunting is not always easy for dogs to make that connection of I'm sitting here and I'm waiting and I'm watching for birds and they're being shot and then I make the retrieve. Young dogs, it takes a while for them to figure out that process, figure out the game, figure out what we're doing out there. And if you've got a dog with gun sensitivity, they could be hanging out by you. And then all of a sudden people start blasting away on guns and they have no idea why because they didn't see the doves come in. They don't know what the doves are coming in. That's exactly the problem that happens is it's inconsistent and you don't know if the dog does see or does not see what's going on before the gun volleys begin. So my recommendation, Lynn, would be to hold off on taking your dog 
hunting. I know that you want to, and hunting is great experience when the dogs are truly ready for it. But with gun sensitivity issues, if you try and push through that and force the issue, it's just going to get worse. And you're going to get to the point where you might not even be able to, um, get back the ground that you've lost in a reasonable amount of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was a really good question. So this was an interesting question because I, I guess I didn't really think about um, what people watch on YouTube and see on our Instagram channel and follow along on Facebook. Um, they might not necessarily know. So Kayla Basoko, which I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Do you guys get to run your kennel full time now or do you guys still have jobs away from your home? Would you do a sit-down video of how the dream or desire of getting to train dogs came about or started and what you guys did to get where you are now? Thank you. That's awesome. So to start that off, I want to say I essentially have been training dogs full-time for almost 10 years now or just right at 10 years. So um it's awesome that you you say that because I would say that on average, that is the majority. I mean, people that train dogs and even train dogs professionally do it on the side. It's a hobby. It's an evening, afternoon, weekend thing. And um, we've been fortunate enough to be able to do this for a very long time. It, it all started working. I mean, it became a full-time job that uh, we've talked about in a few different episodes. But um then when we started doing it for ourselves, you know, we've just, I mean, we've really been fortunate enough to have enough people that trusted and believed in us and that, sent us their dogs to train. And uh, yes. And on top of that, I mean, we worked our tails off and there is, there is no if, and, or, but around that aspect of things. Kat and I worked, um, when we started for ourselves, we worked, uh, all day, every day. Yeah. I mean, uh, five o'clock, maybe four 30, depending on the day in the summer, four o'clock sometimes, whatever, until 10 o'clock, seven days a week. PM. Yeah. It wasn't like 4 AM to 10 AM. No, no, four to 10. So seven days a week. And there was a few small stretches in there that we had some help, but, uh, it was like an employee here or there. We had a couple employees that lasted a while, but it wasn't even until um, more recently where we moved down to where we're at now, which is in just outside of Pretty Prairie, Kansas. So um, South Central, we used to live in Northwest Kansas and there was like nobody out there. So it's hard to find employees. It was good lived, hunting, though. Yeah, it was good, good hunting. hunting area. We, we lived a long way from town, yes. you know, uh, 14 miles. Now we live further from town and we have people drive even further than that to come work for us. I think it was just the, there was a smaller selection of people in that area to try and pull from. Fairly unpopulated. Yes. But, um, so we've been doing it for a long time and it's one of those things that if I actually sat down and calculated out the, the dollars per hour that I was making in the beginning stages of that, working through all of those things, I probably would have quit and took a job there at McDonald's or something and (laughs) and had us and had a leg up, but I'm definitely glad to where we at and where we've grown. Um, you know, but it's, it's one of those things that it, it's taken a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. And we definitely wear a lot of different hats. So we train dogs, we have a breeding program, but then we're also shooting these videos and trying to share the knowledge and experience that we have with you all, as well as, you know, 
social media is a huge thing these days. So managing social media sites and a website. And, and if we you have, didn't know, we have an online store. Yes. Um, on our website. So standingstonekettles.com so slash store. And uh, then we also have Patreon where we're answering people's questions. Yes. So we we have a lot of different things that involve our business now, which has grown. When we started, it was dog training and a couple litters mm-hmm. and a very minimal website, social media presence. I mean, we had a presence, but if you go back and watch some of the initial beginning eight-year-old Standing Stone Kennels on YouTube videos, which Heck, we have a video coming we out. Have. We just created a video where we reacted to some of our beginning videos. It was uh, bad. So yeah. um, some of those first videos were bad. Definitely be checking that out. It's going to be coming out here probably this week, I would guess. So. Yeah. Um, so we had a very minimal presence on that aspect. And we've been able to, with a great team now, um, be able to grow into having a business that spans multiple different aspects and venues. So absolutely. It's a great question. It is. Okay. So this is also a really good question from Cody Dewar. Oh, hey, Cody. How's it going? Oh, no. I said that wrong. Corey Dewar. Sorry. Oh, Corey. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Um, How do you, can you train a dog pace? Is it something that you, that comes with experience? My two-year-old GSP is in great condition running three to seven miles a day, depending on the weather we have, but always starts out like a rocket and blows by early birds. Thanks. Mm. Love the content. Have watched almost every video. Awesome. Thanks for being a... That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for being Tell a Tell feet. We need to get a, a t-shirt made or something like that that says... I've watched them all. I've watched them all because there's a lot of them out there now. Even the old ones, reaction video would be great. We actually just did one, so you'll have to check that out. <laughs> um, it's coming out probably this week, like we said, but okay. We say this a lot, but anything your dog's doing consistently, they are conditioning themselves to. So if your dog's MO is to hop out of the truck, hit the field and blaze a trail as far as he can out into the, the hinterlands, and then finally come around and check back in after he's blown up a few birds, that's going to be what he wants to do and what he's becoming conditioned to do. First and foremost, it is a very common thing for young dogs to do that. A lot of times they have more umph to run and less understanding of what's going on. You know, work uh, harder, not uh, smarter at the, the early stage in the game. And you get a season or two under their belt and they start working smarter, not harder. Where they are out there actively hunting, not just running for the sake of being a young, wild uh, Banshee. Yeah. All I can think is like the Dave Matthews song comes in my head. Uh, Raised by wolves. <laughs> Whatever. However it goes. Insert music here, except then we'll be demonetized. So don't insert music here. <laughs> um, but I think that not only are young dogs very susceptible to doing this, that people make a lot of excuses for their dogs. Agreed. Yeah. And say, oh, well, they just have to blow off some steam. They just have to get out, you know, that first run. I've heard of the extent of people like say we dump them down in the ditch and let them run for the two miles before we get to the field to run off some steam. Well, you're just creating the 
this monster. Yeah, you're conditioning the response that you really don't want, but it's becoming conditioned. So we put a lot of emphasis on obedience. So therefore, dogs get out of the truck. They're under control. They're in a heel position. Not only is that good for them not blowing into the field and getting birds up early, but also for the safety of your dog, especially if you're getting into the field from an approach or the side of the road. Yes, absolutely. Uh, your dog being under control and handled before you get to the field or vehicles just moving around to head down to the other end to block or something. If you know where your dog is at and they're under control, they're safe. They're not blowing birds out. And then you can let them hit the field, but handle them. If you see them deciding to do their first initial 200-yard cast and you don't want that, that's not the kind of hunting you're doing, you call them back. You keep them close until you condition that that is the expectation. You know, you get to hunt 60 to 100 yards, not 200 to 400 yards. Yep, it takes a lot of handling in the beginning, and then if you put the time in that first season and in training sessions and in everything else, in that first year to two years of life, I mean, keep on top of things. Condition, like Kat said, anything the dog's doing, they're conditioning themselves to. So if you're keeping them in this more comfortable range, usable range, workable range, they're going to be conditioned to stay in there. Now, some dogs have a natural desire to run bigger than others, but it doesn't really sound like that's what you're talking about. It sounds like you're happy with things, except for that first initial burst of energy where they're they're running too big. So handle, 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 handle. Put the time in now, and you'll be happy with your end result. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good question, Corey. And I think that that's probably all we're going to have time for in part one of this week's Yawa. Thank you guys for asking questions. Remember, put them in the comments of these Yawa videos if you want your question answered next week. All righty, Roo, and welcome to part two. <laughs> See what I did there? This is part two of this week's Yawa. We had a couple. That was a terrible rhyme. You do it all the time. Burn. <laughs> that was good, hon. I liked it. Oh, yeah. So, so good. It was bad. But moving on. And we digress, and we haven't even started. Okay, so we're here for part two. Uh, it's an eagle rare kind of night. And aside from that, we've and got mojito, some... mojito. Which, which you I like love mojitos, be. but I always struggle with getting the mint in like my teeth when I'm drinking it this way. I think I should use a straw. If you that, that is a novel idea. Or option two, if we can get mint extract and then a couple drops. No, no, no. That would be like using lime juice and not real limes. Okay, touche. Yeah. Terrible idea. Touche. Well, uh, we want to say if this is the first video that you're finding on our channel, lucky you. And hit the uh, subscribe button down there so you don't miss any of our upcoming videos. Also, go back and watch part one. This is part two of a three-part series video. We are going to get started with a few great questions. And speaking of questions pulling them from the comments below. So if you say, hey, I've got a question. I'd like these two dorks to answer it for us. Throw it in the comments below and we'll do our best to grab it out if it's an extra good question or you throw something that's eye-catching like 
a funny joke, maybe something you pull off of a Laffy Taffy sticker or something that may get it thrown into the question pool for next week. Right. Yeah. Attention grabbers. They grab our attention. So this question is from Bryston Tanigua. I bet you got that one right. I hope so. (laughs) Aloha. Well, aloha. I'm wondering, based on your greeting, if you're from Hawaii, because that would be really cool. If you're from Hawaii, I definitely want to come meet you. (laughs) That'd be awesome. If you're not from Hawaii, I'm still interested in meeting you. (laughs) Okay. But I'm going to greet you with aloha. Definitely. And say goodbye. I think that's how you say goodbye as well. Yeah. Yeah. Aloha. Aloha. I have a Brittany that I'm training, and we used balls in the beginning to play with her. Ooh, got it. I see where this is going. She has definitely developed some rolling and mouthing issues when we switched to bumpers. Mm-hmm. Is there mm-hmm. anything I can do at this point? She's about six and a half months old. Yep. I'm Start st- over. I'm still playing a bit of tug with her when retrieving, but I can see her chomping on the bumper as she's running to me. And when I try to sit her next to me to calm her down, I try to take it away as soon as I see her mouthing it, but it's just getting more difficult as her jaws become stronger. Absolutely. So you're definitely seeing. Said six months, right? Six and a half. Yep. Six and a half. Okay. So you're, you're through the majority of the teething. Yes. All right. And I was going to mention that, you know, a lot of times dogs that are teething and you're trying to progress through retrieving through that process can develop some of those habits as well. Not yep. only with balls, but with that teething, you know, they want to chew on things. And so whatever they're retrieving gets chewed on and that can start to develop those behaviors. Like we say all the time, anything your dog's doing consistently, they're conditioning themselves to. So if they're rolling a ball in their mouth, that's how they're going to do retrieves. If they're munching that bumper because they're teething, that's how they're going to re- be doing retrieves. Um, so you're you're recognizing it. And I would say a couple things that you can try, tips and tricks, is finding a different object for retrieving, something that is harder, a little Ooh, firmer. You stole mine. That was the only thing I was going to say. <laughs> yes. I love it when that happens. Because now he's got nothing. Anyway, so then find something that's a little bit harder. You could use a, you could use a frozen bird even. Uh, you could use one of the Dawkins. Those are a firmer material. Um, as well as they're somewhat slippery when they get slobbery. Sli- mm-hmm. Slippery when wet. And <laughs> then if the dogs don't have a nice firm grip on it and they're messing with it and rolling it and, you know, tonguing it and stuff, that is going to easily slide and slip out of their mouth. So it encourages a nice firm hold as well as it's hard for them to munch and roll those types of um, retrieving objects. A little bit bigger around object as well that really kind of stretches their mouth a little bit so that it's not closed and easily just munch, munch, munch when it's way wider and that force to get it to crunch, crunch, crunch is more difficult. So those are some tips and tricks that you can try and use to help condition out some of those naughty behaviors, um, as well as evaluate your retrieving sessions and say, okay, are we getting any good retrieves, any not sloppy retrieves? Maybe we're getting two and then we start to digress. Then you want to say, I'm only doing two retrieves every session. And I know that probably seems like you're not doing enough, but if you're doing 
good retrieves, you're conditioning good behaviors. And eventually, once you've conditioned that, you can add in a few more retrieves. And you might just need to say, I'm not doing retrieving every day. I'm doing retrieving once a week and I'm only doing two retrieves, building on success, getting the good ones that I can condition those behaviors to before allowing more sloppiness to happen. We need to have a training seminar or I need to write a book or an article or something. The art of knowing when to stop a yes, training session. Because we talk about being greedy trainers. Yes. We actually just did another reaction video on, um, you know, knowing when to stop in a trained retrieve session as well. And that one's up now? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 We shoot so many videos. Sometimes we don't know if they've been posted yet. It's up. So we got the opportunity to watch a video session. This is a little bit off topic, but it's good information still. It relates back to what we're talking about with retrieving as well, though. Yep. So she's doing formal retrieving work with a dog. Um, Doug's doing a good job, but has a lot of avoidance in there. And there is a time, I believe it's approximately, so if you watch through um, and you can see the little slider because we're watching somebody else's YouTube video inside of a YouTube video, inside of a YouTube video, inside of a YouTube video. No, inside, I guess, just, you got stuck. Inside of a YouTube video. So um, it's just one YouTube video. But if you look at the slider at the bottom, you could see when it gets to about the point of five minutes, five and a that's half, when you maybe? need to watch real close because that last 60 seconds there is when the primo primo stuff happens. And we talk about it, we go over it, we show it, and then the rest of the session kind of goes and then kind of gets back up to kind of. Yeah, so, you'll definitely have to check like, on from that a video. level standpoint. It starts here. Gets to here, I mean, good, and then falls off and then finishes about here, which is something that happens a lot to a lot of people all the time. And then you end up where you you don't really ever climb because you're taking these baby steps, chipping away at it. One step forward, two steps back. Yes. So, um, but definitely check that video out. It's about retrieving as well. And I mean, Kat, you 100% nailed it. I mean, all of the things you mentioned are, are the things that I would have said. I have nothing to add the last thing that I can add is, you know, your dog's six and a half months old, a little Brittany. If the sloppiness of the retrieving continues and you've tried all the tips and tricks, ultimately hard mouth can be fixed by doing formal retrieving work. But that's usually something that we don't recommend starting until around a year, depending on your dog's mental maturity. Um, so, and sometimes Brittany's can, you know, mature a little bit slower. So I would definitely err on the side of 12 months before you'd want to start that process. Um, but I think that's all I was going to say about that one. The only thing else that I would have to add is a question for you specifically, which is if you are in fact on the island or one of the islands, big island, little island, some island, Hawaiian Island, Hawaiian Island, uh, what birds are you hunting? I'm curious to know, throw it in the comments below. And, uh, guys, we are approaching the halfway mark of part two. So smash the like button as YouTubers might say. Those tubers. Hey, we're tubers too. I know. I I know. What's the next question? So this is another question from Angelo Icomini. Nailed it. <laughs> sorry, folks. I'm really bad at these names. I'm sorry. Actually, I've gotten a couple compliments on saying people's You're the only names person right. I've ever heard say it right. 
I bet you're close. Yeah, because you aren't reading the questions, so of course I'm no, the only no, no, one. No, 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 like no, like people in general. Like, I've never had anybody get my name right, and you did. Yeah, so. so I've gotten a couple of those. So hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. Hello, I love so Yawa like Day. Fiction. What? I love Yawa Day. Well, we love it too, and that's so awesome. I I think we should have an official Yawa Day. Yawa Day. Yeah. I get up and catch up on videos, so that's plenty of time to drink coffee. I like your morning ritual. Yes. We get up and drink coffee and shoot videos sometimes. Or catch up on Patreon. That's a typical morning routine for us. We get up because it's early, get Patreon, emails, Facebook messages, Instagram messages done before most people wake up so that when the real day of the business starts, we can call people. And I still make the mistake of calling people sometimes and forgetting about time zone changes. I accidentally called a client the other morning. It's like, oh yeah, it's eight o'clock. It's perfectly normal to call someone at this time. Or six o'clock. Unless they're in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oops. He was up, so it was okay. It worked out. Oopsie. <laughs> so, um, my bad. The The other side of that that's kind of cool is uh, Patreon is a community where we answer questions on the daily for you, for anybody that does not know. So if you're looking for your question to be answered, you can throw it in the comments here and hope, or you can get it answered every single day on Patreon. It's uh, almost every single day. I don't miss very often. Um, but the other side of it is they just opened up a new option so that you can actually subscribe for a whole year and make uh, get a pretty substantial savings on the whole deal. Yeah, you so get a discount. Check that out, patreon.com slash Standing stone And I know we always talk about joining Patreon. If you've got a question that's just burning a hole in your pocket that you got to ask and you need an answer, but there's also the option to just support us and support the content. Cause I mean, we are putting out a video a day. It's a lot of time that we put into it. Um, a lot of equipment necessary to do those videos and all of the money that we get through Patreon goes to being able to create more content for you guys. 100%. So, Back to Angelo's question. So my question is for pointing dogs. Sit or don't sit? That is the question. Ooh, the biggest dilemma in the history of pointing dogs. Obviously, you teach sit. But I do have a friend with a dog that sits on point. And I train with someone who insists you should not. Give your reasoning and have you seen dogs that sit on point? This is fantastic. And this is going to be the last question of the episode. Because it's going to take that much time. To start with, sit or not to sit? The answer is definitely the dogs can learn both 100%. Every single dog everywhere in the history of pointing worlds can. Even those English pointers, I'm not hating on you, but if you're truthfully, if you're being truthful with yourself, you know for a fact your pointer isn't the smartest tool in the sharp uh, shed of uh, rocket science, uh, rocket surgeons. And Colors in a box and all those. Eating crayons or something. (laughs) They are fantastic bird dogs. They have a ton of ability. They have all the things. I'm not hating on pointers. Love pointers. They just aren't the smartest. Okay? Moving on. So, yes. Teaching sit and having a dog not sit on point is completely acceptable, completely normal. Uh, We teach our puppies to sit. If you watch some of our other YouTube puppy training playlist videos. 40 seconds have gone by and the people are now 
typing in their comments about how I'm wrong about pointers. So I just want to say again, while you're typing this, um, I refer to my favorite dog in the whole world, Vex. Okay. He is a stud muffin and an awesome short hair, and he is just dumb enough to be awesome. He's got a ton of natural ability, and he is not dumb. He's not the smartest dog in the whole world because two smart dogs get themselves in trouble. Two dumb dogs struggle with the learning process, so you got to have them just dumb enough to be perfect. It's like a happy medium there, right? And you've said that about Vex in the past. Yes, all the time I say it. I love him to death. And he is, yeah, he doesn't question things then. You know, some of those really intelligent it's dogs. It's a nice trait to have. Yeah, some of those really intelligent dogs start questioning things, thinking on their own a little too much. And that's, yeah, what gets them into trouble, makes them destructive at times. Little Houdini escape artist heck, getting into things. Yeah, heck, the, the smartest dog that I probably ever met. We specifically added tops to some kennel runs just for when that specific dog visits for boarding. Ellie. <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> what you got in the car run over there or something? Shut up. We digress again. I want to answer this question. Go for you it. keep distracting me, but I also have a story about Corona. So that's also something I want to talk for about. For part three. Okay, part three. You guys have to tune in for part three. Okay. So, if you follow along with some of our puppy training videos and playlists, you will see we teach all of our short hairs how to sit. Our lab, how to sit. Sitting is something that we teach. It's an easy thing to teach. It's a good obedience tool. Um, Yep. But we also recognize when puppies get into auto-sit. Auto-sit. They become um, automatic sitters. They sit for everything because they've been rewarded for sitting in the past. So, hey, I'll just sit and I'll get a reward for that. And it's up to you as a trainer to make the distinction and say, I didn't ask you to sit for this specific situation, so I'm not going to reward that. Or if I ask for another behavior and you sit, I'm not going to be like, well, sure, I'll reward for that. And then I'll still work on getting you to kennel or recall or something. Um, You need to, if you're asking for a behavior and it's not exhibited, you need to get that behavior before you're doing a reward. We've had people all the time that come out and they're like, yeah, my dog is great at this, great at that. Here, let me show you. And they'll try and woe them in in the kennel and they'll say, whoa, and their dog will sit. And they're like, good dog. Well, that wasn't a sit. If you just want your dog to stop moving or to be in one place, okay, but you need to distinguish what that is. Sure. So we get these dogs, these puppies that start to automatically sit for things because we've rewarded them for that in the past. And so a lot of times in those situations, I'll start rewarding those little puppies for standing. Yep. And I think I've got a, we think we've got some videos out. Several of them, but I think uh, Zephy most recently. I think, but also it could have been a live video or something on Instagram. Yeah, so anytime a dog is automatically defaulting, a lot of times is the word that we use, defaulting to a behavior, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, if they show I automatically do something, Usually it's going to be a problem, whether it's sitting or whether it's anything else. They just get stuck in one thing. And we uh, recently, and I don't, I'm not picking on anybody, but it's a patron that uh, was sending in messages and he said, I think I broke my dog. And I'm like, broke a dog how? Well, he was working on place training to help with inside behavior. And that's fantastic. 
a great thing to work on. And he said, now uh, she essentially defaults to the place board and it just stays there and it's like stuck there. And okay, well, sure, that's great. But that doesn't show an understanding uh, of exactly what you're asking. It shows an understanding of something that's important. So anything that's a default is bad. Yes. So if you're starting to see a default of sitting, start rewarding a standing behavior, which would ultimately be kind of all four feet, stop moving, would be kind of an introduction to woe. We don't clicker train to teach dogs to woe. That's Mm, where we use our positive pigeon drill to start that process. But none of our dogs sit on point. None of our personal dogs have ever sat on point. And sometimes people run into a problem because their dog has become a default sitter. Then when they start formal woe training and there's a little bit of pressure applied. I don't even think it requires a default sitter. I think a default setter makes it easier towards that direction. Okay. But a dog that's comfortable and understands that sitting can sitting be something option. that they can be rewarded for, yep. or it's a good thing. Um, then a little bit of pressure gets applied without a good enough understanding. That of, is the ticket. Yeah. Of what the yes. behavior is. Because like we talk about with all training, first we teach a behavior yes. using positive reinforcement, whether that's clicker training and treats or clicker training and retrieves or just verbal marking and retrieves or using a pigeon for our reward and our marker um, with our positive pigeon drill. Uh What we teach all of those behaviors first with positive reinforcement. Then we reinforce those behaviors that they already know, already have a good understanding of, um, a consistent understanding of. And then we reinforce using an e-collar with negative reinforcement. And that is when, if the dog doesn't have a good enough understanding of the behavior we're actually asking for, they get confused and they go back to doing something that they understand, which if it's sit, then they're going to try and sit when they feel that pressure applied, the negative reinforcement applied with the collar. So making sure your dog has a true understanding of the behavior and the cue before introducing a collar or any kind of negative reinforcement-based training around low training would be really important. So your dog doesn't try and sit Because they think that that's what they need to do to avoid the pressure. Okay, folks. So that's all the time that we have for part two. And you're going to have to jump over to part three to hear the end of the rest of our answer to this question. All right, welcome to part three of this week's Yawa, where we have already spent part one and part two answering your questions and updating uh, the world on Standing Stone. Or at least the people that subscribe to our channel. So if you don't subscribe, subscribe so you don't miss out on all of the announcements that we make to our YouTubers. Smooth, baby. Yeah. that. All right, so in part two, we kind of finished with a... Cliffhanger, if you will. Not so much cliffhanger, just a half-answered question. We ran out of time. We did. So Ethan, it was all Ethan's fault. He got really long-winded. Didn't say anything. <laughs> but we are here, and I want to finish answering this question because it is a a question to to answer all questions. It's a get in. It's uh, a get in. Uh, it's essentially a question that gets answered. Ask a lot, and that is uh, to sit or not to sit with a pointing dog. So, 
we've talked about a few things, but essentially what it comes down to, to kind of jump through the question as it was asked mm-hmm. there. Part one of that question was to sit or not sit. Yes. Okay. hundred percent. You can teach sit. No problem. And then the next part in there, and we kind of covered the the first part of that. The next part was, she said, you have somebody who has a dog that sits on point. Yes. And then another person that they train with that insists. Part two. Let's part two. Okay. So part two, we have a dog that sits on point, right? Yes. Have you ever seen that before? Yes. Like. Not on point. Through a steadiness sequence. Uh, through a steadiness sequence. So this yeah, is yeah, yeah. where, that's what I'm getting at, is this is the clarification that I'm looking for. I don't know that I've honestly ever seen a dog that comes in, locks up, and then sits down automatically. I don't know that I have no, specifically seen that. It's always in relation to something else. Something that could be continue or could be directly correlated with pressure yeah. in a sense of a steadiness sequence or a the the presence and pressure of a handler yes can force a, a sitting situation like you start flushing so the dog locks up on point they're standing you come in as handler and start kicking around trying to find a bird and then the dog sits down and then there's the other side of it where i've seen um setting dogs and sitting is different than setting. Yes, setting is their front half gets really low and intense. And the whole body kind of comes down. Crouching Have, down. Cr- crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Yeah. Loading. I like to call it loading when Nix does it. He does a little bit of it. It's, it's intensity. He, ooh, like I'm ready. I'm getting that back foot loading. dug into the blocks. and I'm Because this bird is coming out and I'm going for it. But uh, so it really depends. And I would love the opportunity. If you have a chance to pull out your iPhone, make sure that it's turned sideways so that we can see everything that's going on there. This way really People makes gotten, the videos I think small. with I think it's Snapchat and Instagram's fault. Yeah, screw you, Instagrammer. And they and people get in the habit of flip it sideways. We can see then we can so see much so more. So much more. Yep. So um I would love to see a video of your sitting training companion. Uh, and then we can evaluate more of what's going on. If they're okay with it and you're okay with it and everybody's okay with it, you should shoot just a training sequence, um, one or two or three birds or whatever the whole deal is. You know, we're talking a five to 15 minute video somewhere in that vicinity, a couple birds, two, three birds, send it to us. We will look at it. We'll talk about it and we'll tell you all of the things we see and don't see. Heck, heck. We might even react to it. We, we Reaction. Yeah. Um, so part three, what do we got there? This is a good question. No, no, no. Part oh. three, we're the same question. This is the last part. I the, thought we The trainer that it. insists oh. in. Also has a trainer, that a person that they train with that insists mm-hmm. that you should not teach them to point. Okay. You should not teach them to sit. What? Isn't that what we're talking about? <laughs> sitting on point. <laughs> yes, I train with someone who insists you should not teach them to sit. Yeah, you said should not teach them the point. Play it back. <laughs> Play it back. That's what she said. I know 100% that's what she said. But you should not teach them to point. To point. Okay, so we're here. We're, we're talking about your, your friend now that says don't teach sit. I'm insistent on the fact that you don't teach sit. Okay, um, it's... Like you've heard of old wives tales, right? There's old bird dog trainer tales too. 
And some of those things get passed down from generation to generation or trainer to trainer or whatever. And a lot of people don't really know the rhyme or reason to it. And all it comes down to is what Kat had kind of touched on in the sense. And so this is quick, but it's just a sense of not having a true understanding of the difference and not having um, solid expectations and some combination of a default to sit and then having, and most importantly, not having a quality way to actually teach whoa. People a lot of times only utilize pressure, um, positive punishment, and some form of the combination of the above to teach it. It's just like we just slap some rigmarole on you, a suitcase handle or a half hitch or um, we throw a collar on you and we put you on a barrel or a post or a platform or a, we do all of these things that are strictly almost exclusively positive punishment based. And that's not a great way to teach. Punishment based training is not ideal. It's okay once you have an understanding and you are reinforcing or building consistency, it's better in that situation. But we need reinforcement based training. So it's it's one of those things that probably don't have an ideal way of teaching or they weren't taught a good way to teach. And um, the way that we teach puts a very strong understanding of the difference between the two and you're better off and you can definitely, you can definitely teach both. So to sit or not to sit, long story short, teach both. Yeah. Sitting is fine. Yeah. So next question from Nicholas Moody. Uh, I bet you got that one right. I think so. That one was an easy one to pronounce. Rock and roll. But there's not an easy dog name to pronounce in this question, so. Give me me a shot. What do we got? My family will be getting a new puppy mid-September after losing our Vishla of 12 and a half years. I'm sorry to hear that. I can Uh, say Vishla. We will be getting a Brock. It's never easy to lose one. They become such a big part of the family, and whether they're 12 or 15 or 18 or 2, or eight months, it's it's hard. It's very, 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 yes. very hard. Definitely it is. We will be getting a Brock D. Oh, you're all on that one. <laughs> you never even heard of this. Brock producer. Look this look, look dog this up. up and and get a pronunciation. Okay, I'm a, working on it. A Brock D. Arvern. I'm going with that. When charging the clicker. Can multiple family members participate in a single meal training session? I have a nine and six-year-old daughter that want to help my wife and I with training. Thank you for your content. Super informative. Well, you're very welcome. Yes, everyone can be involved in your training sessions. I think that that's an important thing for everyone to become involved. That way your puppy will learn that, hey, they have to listen to everyone. Everyone is somebody that is important. But in the beginning stages of clicker training, let's say you're charging the clicker. You need to a, be able to keep the momentum of the training session going. You're trying to build an association and an understanding that the click is a good thing. And so having multiple people trying to be involved in that as well as like handing off the clicker and losing the momentum of the session wouldn't necessarily be what I would recommend. I would say taking turns Watching some of our training videos so that your, you know, daughters understand the process of how the training session should go and then stepping in if need be, but having each of them take a turn and say, okay, breakfast is 
your six-year-old's chance to do the training session and dinner is your nine-year-old's chance to do the training session with you supervising, of course. And then as your puppy gets a better, stronger understanding um, of clicker training and then learning behaviors, you guys can both or all be involved in the training sessions. Especially when you start recall, that'll be really good where they can call your puppy back and forth puppy, puppy, puppy goes one way. Then the other daughter gets to call the puppy the other way and click and reward them for complying with that cue and exhibiting that behavior. You got a pronunciation there? I do not have a pronunciation. It's a male Brock D. It's French. So if you could speak France at us. um, Brock D. Averne. Averne. Uh, it sounds better. Than I'm going with that. Um, but it is, uh, they, they are cute. I mean, they see that one has a shorter tail. Most of the pictures that I've seen have long tails. Um, like that one. It looks they look like a short haired setter ish. Not, not setter. They just look, they look like, um, uh, Brock Italianos. I mean, droopier, houndier. They look, I mean, similar short hairs, just like, uh, but different color. I don't think that Brock Italianos come in black. Do they not? No. I'm not an aficionado on all the coloring mm. options in those some, more obscure breeds. Some tails are dark, but they are French. But, but Brock Francais can both have short tails and long tails, just like short hairs. Some DKs don't have docked tails. Mm. Now that is another video. Ooh, DK I've, versus this GSP. Is I've, I've only seen um, black ones. Oh, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I've I've only seen. We are going to have to do ones. some research on this because I'm curious now. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you can get a um, lab mix with a however that's pronounced. Okay, next question. It looks like they're. Uh, I'm I'm definitely interested in more information on this breed, but I've only seen. Shoot us some. Listed. Shoot us over some info. Yeah, I'm only seeing black and white here. That's cool. Let us know what you know, Nicholas. We want to know. We want to know. So, moving on to the next question from Jacqueline Smith. I have two intact females and one intact male in my home that I do not intend to breed. Oofda. When the females are in season, mm-hmm. I locate them to a different part of the house and give them a different yard. But my male still has a hard time with constant whining and crying. Any suggestions besides fixing them to help him out? Katie, bar the door. Isn't that a thing? What? I don't know. I would say um, <laughs> I, would, I would take your male and place him in the next county. Yeah, so options. If you don't want to fix them, first of all, if you're not planning on breeding, it honestly would be healthier for your females to be spayed if they are. Age again? Didn't didn't give an age. I yep. said if they are okay. over a year that. old, um, it sounds like they've at least had a heat cycle since uh, you've already experienced this with your male, mm-hmm. crying and whining constantly. Um, so our recommendation honestly, would be spaying them. How do our boys deal with it? They get a little worked up. They get more worked up, but it's not like they whine and cry and howl all the time. No, but the difference would be 
our males do breedings. I mean, that's part of the program. They're stud dogs for our breeding program. And yep. so they learn when the females truly need to be bred. This is very prime true. time. So Nick's won't even, I mean, you could let him out with another female and he would be like, Meh. he might sniff her and give her yeah, a lick. Yeah, you're not and then ready like, yet. No. Give her another 48 hours and I'll be interested. And then I'll only be interested for like three to five days, maybe. So um, that might be part of it. But a recommendation could be to got a friend of the family or a trainer or even a boarding facility that you could have your male boarded during or trained or visiting a family or friend member during your female's heat cycles so that it doesn't drive them up the wall. And I just want to mention, you do keep them separate, but we have heard horror stories of males that have dug through walls to get to females to get them bred while they're in that's heat. That's actually how I met my, uh, what I would consider my best friend. Yeah. That's, that's how, uh, we met Rich mm-hmm. with Arthur. Mm-hmm. So, Arthur was created by digging a hole through the laundry room wall. By Maverick, digging a hole through the laundry wall yeah. to get to Bella. Well, Arthur didn't create himself by digging a hole through the wall, but Yes. Yes. Maverick dug a hole through the laundry room wall and got her done. I don't understand why Bella was in the living room in heat romp- romping around. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But they were kept separate and the sheetrock didn't do enough. Let's go with that. He was determined. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, there are options. Ultimately... If you don't plan on breeding, spaying your females would be my go-to answer. Absolutely. So this is a good question from... We haven't had a bad question yet. That's because I pick them. And you guys ask them. So you guys have some really good questions. And if you are have made it this far and you're through parts one, two, and three, or maybe just part three and haven't seen parts one and two, go back and watch them. Or if you have a question right now, you'd like to ask it. Throw it in the comments below. And because you are now 75% of the way into this video, smash the like button. And stick it out for just a few more minutes so you can type finished in the comments. So question from Kelly Purrier. You talk a lot about having a bold and confident dog. I'm really curious what tips you would offer to develop some of that bold and confident behavior for someone who lives in a city environment. Mm. My puppy Jackson is eight weeks and has only been home for two days. I recognize he's adjusting. He has moments of romping through the yard confidently and then prolonged periods of time of being directly at my ankle. I know he needs to acclimate and I need to know what my options are to encourage and maintain bold and confident behavior. Last name pronounced per year. Hey, thank you. I wish I would have read that whole bottom part before I pronounce your name, but I think I got it pretty close. You were really close. Um, Do we hear a breed? I missed that. Uh, no, no breed. No breed. Puppy Jackson. Puppy Jackson. So first of all, uh, I want to say a couple things. One, it's awesome that you are reaching out. It's awesome that you have a new puppy, and it's even more awesome that you are thinking forward in the fact that they need to be bold and confident and well-adjusted. Yeah. The fact that you followed along and are listening to some of the things that we suggest. I'm curious to know what breed, because that's going to make a big difference in personality and general characteristics. And maturity. I mean, there are some breeds that are slower to mature than others overall. Um, 
But in general, your puppy, like you said, has only been home for a couple of days. They're still adjusting the fact that he is interested in going out and exploring a little bit, but still pretty dependent on you is very, very normal. Uh, Usually our short hairs don't get to that point of independence and boldness to the sense that they're ready to just disappear into the hinterlands, checking stuff out for themselves until they've been around for a couple weeks. I mean, usually maybe 12 weeks. And that's when we talk about, hey, 12 to 16 weeks is typically when we recommend start collaring conditioning. If you've got that puppy that has started being bold and confident and a little more independent because they're going away, doing their exploring, not wanting to come back when you recall them. So they'd be ready for that because they're bold and confident. Now, if you've got a dog that's a little slower to mature, uh, we just worked with a little Brock Francais at a training seminar. So not just, but it's been a while. And she was 12 weeks old at the time. And she was definitely a little bit slower to mature. And, and they're on Patreon. And I've yeah. gotten to see that she's kind of turned into a wild banshee, which is a good thing. Because she's coming in for training in January, I think. I think so. I think January, but that training seminar was a few months ago. She was 12 weeks old there. Yep. And yep. so add three months now. So she's probably five months, maybe six months old now. So mm-hmm. like I said, a little bit slower, but now she's rocking it. So breed does make a little bit of a difference on just when they mature. But what you're asking is how you can continue socializing them to be bold and confident. And that comes back to, like I said, socializing them, letting them experience lots of new environments. Don't coddle them when they are interacting with those environments. If yeah. they- See, that was my step number one is don't coddle your dog. Yes. Step number one. And by coddle, we mean things like, oh, it's okay, puppy. Or if they act unsure, you say, or they oh, get startled. I'll, I'll pet you and tell you that you're okay and you're going to help you through this. And what people miss with that is that with uh, people, you know, it's to an extent it works, right? So, but it's more of an adult type of thing, right? If you act unsure in a situation, you are an adult and you are here. And if I say, oh, it's all right, hon, you know, I mean, you'll get through this or whatever. You can understand and comprehend what's going on here. If my little boy, who's a toddler, um, baby stubs his toe and I make a big fuss out of the deal, then he expects that that's kind of a requirement. And the same thing happens with the dogs. So we have a little puppy and they do something. And this happened in the puppy send home. And I don't mean to pick because if she's watching, she'll know exactly who she was. She went to set a puppy down and the puppy slipped. And I'm talking like here to here, six inches, slipped, plopped on its side, more got a baby stinger in its back leg. And it's like hit his funny bone. Yep, hit his funny bone. And he's kind of like gimping around. And she goes, Oh my gosh. And she tries to pick him up. She's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Ah, da, da. Well, sure, she feels a little bad, whatever. But it's one of those things that the there was nothing wrong with him. And I said, Whoa, 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 don't touch him. Give him a second. He'll walk it off. He'll be done with it in 15 seconds. And he was. He was back to romping around and playing. It was just a stinger. He hit his funny bone, whatever. It was the same kind of concept here. And if we coddle those situations, 
they kind of grow to that where everything in life needs to be coddled. Yep. Everything needs to be coddled. If I'm unsure, I should act unsure because then I get rewarded through It's reinforcement-based training. You say, oh, it's okay, buddy. You know, a little putt, nice talking, those kind of things. It's the same way that we reward our dogs in other situations in life. So essentially, we're rewarding them for being unsure. Yes. or it happens the same thing with aggression. It happens the same thing with everything. But it's anytime you're trying to comfort your dog, you're essentially rewarding them for the behavior. And that's the way that we look at it. So don't do that. So don't coddle your puppy. Step one. Work on mental and physical stimulation in a sense of training, growing their brains, and then exposing them to as many new environments that you can while they are um, young. You have to be careful if they haven't been fully vaccinated to avoid some of those high populated dog areas. But new environments and new things can be simple. Going up and down stairs, walking across hardwood floors, going through tall grass. tile, any different textures are important. Yeah, different textures, car rides. I mean, all things that you can do with your puppy that doesn't risk exposing them to, you know, a dog park type of situation. And then the opposite end of that, we talked a lot about the puppy coming with you. And then there is part of the puppy not coming with you, learning to spend some time alone. They're raised in a litter. They spend all their time with their litter mates and their mom. And then they get separated from that. And it's new. It's a change. And if you become their new litter and you're always together and you do all these things together, they never learn how to be apart. And it's an important thing for them to learn as young dogs. I mean, they need to understand it's okay to be alone. And then it's just as okay to be with my people. Because they're will most likely come a time where they have to be boarded or they're going off for training and they're not going to be with you constantly. And if they have never experienced that before, that at an older age is going to be really traumatic for them. So socializing them and socializing sounds like, oh, we're getting together and having a good time and chit-chatting around a bonfire. Let's get some kids, some little kids out here to chase around and scream and hoop and holler at my puppy. Yeah, and socializing to us means more exposing them to new environments and new things, making sure they're a well-rounded dog, which involves having some alone time in the crate, um, going on some walks, you know, being okay um, with other training that you're doing, learning to stay on a dog bed. All of those things are great ways to continue developing your puppy. Give him some time. He's going to settle in, feel comfortable with you, and then just start walking with him. He's going to get exploratory come back, say, hey, mom, I'm checking in with you, which is a great thing. A cooperative dog is a really nice thing to have. But then you don't have to talk to him constantly of like, get out of here, go, go, go. Because every time you say something to Jackson, that's going to pull his focus back to you. So just ignore him. Let him wander around. He comes back in, checks in with you. Cool. Let him wander off again. Very well said. Thanks, honey. Well, that part three went a little longer than our normal amount of 20-minute time, but we're going to have to call that an end because guess what? I'm out of bourbon. And we need to pack for Alaska still, and I haven't done that, and we leave tomorrow morning, so. And we're out of time. We're out of time. I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat the dog trainer. And we will see you in the next video.